begin with breath and then reestablish movement patterns from the exact way that you learned how to move. Because when babies are born, they have a diastasis of their rectus abdominis muscles and they have a non-functioning pelvic floor. What do most people have immediately after giving birth? They have a diastasis of the rectus abdominis muscle bellies and they have most likely a non-functioning pelvic floor. If we don't address those things in the immediate postpartum time period, our pelvic floor is going to remain to some degree dysfunctional. Our core cannot be functional if our pelvic floor is not functional. So when we reestablish breath in the postpartum time period, we actually take some time to do that and, and get freaking good at it. Then we can build a foundation on to, like from there. If we don't start with breath, then we're just creating compensation right off the bat. Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast, where we empower women to better support their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, the co-author of the Real Food for Real Moms postpartum prep guide, and I lead workshops on baby first foods. For more from me and my programs, visit michelletaggy.com. I am the mom to three-year-old Connor and nine-month-old Ashlyn, which means I am currently nine months postpartum and I am going through all the recovery things still, and I'm really focusing on rebuilding strength. So I am super excited for the conversation today with Dr. Lindsay Muma. She is such an incredible resource on everything with postpartum recovery, fitness, and pregnancy, and all the things. And there is just so much great information packed in this episode that I'm so excited for you guys to listen. So Dr. Muma received her BA from Kent State University in Kent, Ohio, and her Doctor of Chiropractic from Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa, where she was named the Clinical Excellence Award winner for her graduating class. In addition to the academic requirements of the DC program, Dr. Muma has also completed over 600 continuing education credit hours in areas such as rehabilitation, developmental kinesiology, pediatrics, pregnancy, nutrition, pain management, sports injuries, TMJ disorder, disc pain, and neurology. She also teaches childbirth education, prenatal and postpartum fitness and education, and is a Webster certified chiropractor. She is the mama of two boys, and her and her husband enjoy working out and exploring the outdoors together. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I know. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into chiropractic and specifically working with postpartum women? Absolutely. Um, it's not like I decided I wanted to be a chiropractor and I always wanted to work with prenatal and postpartum patients. That was a complete afterthought, honestly. Um, I started seeing a chiropractor when I was in my sophomore year of high school because I had low back pain that was pretty much unrelenting. And I was an athlete and I had uh, tried a bunch of things. And I actually, um, I don't know if you remember Viox. I was on Viox for six months. It was a pain reliever that was recalled um, after I was on it for six months. Uh, and and I, I was just like kind of trying to manage the pain that I was in. Um, and 
when I started seeing the chiropractor that I ended up with, I had already been to a variety of practitioners. And when I went into her office, she was the first person that looked at me and said, I can help you. And it was such a powerful thing because everybody else was like, well, I don't really know what's wrong with you. And I was like, well, I don't know what's wrong with me either. And I don't know why none of you can figure it out, but I'm a healthy 15 year old. I shouldn't be having low back pain. And they were like, yeah, you're a healthy 15 year old. You shouldn't be having low back pain. I'm like, okay, we're all on the same page here. Is anybody going to help me? And, um, and I had seen a chiropractor and I had like so, so results, but like nothing was really resolving my pain. And then a friend of mine recommended this chiropractor. Her name's Dr. Lisa Provenza and she, um, practices in Canfield, Ohio. If anyone is looking, she's a wonderful, uh, practitioner and she is the reason why I'm a chiropractor. Um, but she just, you know, she was the first person that like expressed any amount of hope for me. And I thought that was such a cool thing. And within two weeks, the pain that I'd had for over a year was completely gone. I was like, this is amazing. And also the first thing that's worked at all. Oh, that's my sourdough timer. Um, and so I, I was just like, wow, I actually would like to do this. I think like, I, this is interesting to me. I would like to be a chiropractor. And so I went to chiropractic college because um, I, I stopped getting migraines when I saw her for low back pain. I stopped getting migraines and I'd started getting migraines when I was eight after a routine medical intervention that is commonly done and is not thought to have any side effects ever. Um, I have to get my sourdough because it's going to keep yelling at me. Um, but uh, after I had um, a, after I had a, a vaccine, I started getting migraines and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me then. And then uh, for the next eight years, I got migraines on a fairly regular basis until I started seeing this chiropractor. And um, I'd been seeing her for a couple of weeks and I was seeing her for low back pain, but then my migraines stopped. And I was like, and I just brought it up to her. I was like, I used to get migraines. Like, I think I put that on my intake form, but I haven't had one in a really long time. And she was like, oh, of course not. I was like, who is this woman? Like, what do you mean? Of course not. I'm coming here for low back pain. And so, um, I mean, I was just like blown away by the number of changes that happened. Um, so my sophomore year of high school, I had to stop running track because of my back pain and all of the doctors that I'd seen before I'd seen my chiropractors had told me, well, you have to stop running. If running hurts, you have to stop. And I'd fallen, like my back seized up when I crossed the finish line of the 300 hurdles and it was just like dramatic and to a race and like my life was over. And um, then after I started seeing my chiropractor the next year, I broke a record in that race the following season. And I was like, this is a huge difference. Like this isn't just, I'm not in pain anymore. Like I'm really doing well. And so I decided I'd be a chiropractor. And then I didn't decide that I would work with pregnant and postpartum patients like as a general population until I got pregnant. Um, I'm like real big on continuing education and I had done a whole bunch of rehab continuing ed, but I hadn't focused too much on prenatal or postpartum health. I'd just done like a handful of courses and a handful of courses is more than what most people do, but it's not at all compared to what I was doing for rehab. And so uh, when I was planning to get pregnant. I was like, holy crap, I don't know anything. Like I've already taken care of pregnant patients and I still don't really understand any of this stuff. And so I just kind of dove in and then like, you know, in diving in, 
it's just like attracted more pregnant and postpartum patients to me. And then I was like, oh, I actually am kind of like qualified to help you people now. This is better. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of the long version answer of that. But I, uh, I just realized like how much was missing. Like I had already gotten a doctorate and I had already taken care of pregnant patients and I didn't even feel like qualified to get pregnant. I was like, there's a lot that I could be doing to make this better for other people. And then I just, then I just kind of got excited about it. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing your story. It was actually a chiropractor for me. I had a lot of um, health problems in high school and I had some low back pain and it was like a chiropractor I found when I was 19 that totally started this health journey for me and made me want to learn more and more. But yeah. it was a chiropractor that did like supplements and kind of looked really holistically at somebody who, you know, the person sitting in front of them versus like yeah. my health problems in Western medicine were all thought of as individual things. And it felt like yep. I was just getting shuffled around to different specialists. Like, Oh, I can't help you. Maybe, maybe go see a neurologist. Like it might be, it might be something <laughs> in that field. And then they'd be like, Nope, don't, you know, they'd run a couple tests and it's like, don't see anything good here. Let me send you to the next. I'll see you to the next. Right. So, so that's, I had, so I had kind of done that shuffle when I was in elementary school, mm. you know, and and then I had like, I, there, there were like a couple of kind of health related things that, that sort of put me in that same position. So when I was in elementary school and then all of a sudden I start getting these migraines and they're out of nowhere and we can't figure out why this would happen. And, you know, I had EEGs run, I had a CT scan of my brain. I had a sleep study done, like all of these tests as like a very young child and nobody could figure out what was quote unquote wrong with me. And it's, you know, it's, it's looking at, is, is this person the problem or is the things that we're doing in this environment kind of the problem? And they were looking at me as a person. They're like, Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Okay. Well, some of the things that are going into my body have kind of caused a barrage of effects and how can we clean those up and how can we, you know, help detoxification pathways or anything like, that? I mean, I didn't, I wasn't hearing any of that stuff until I was in my twenties and I kind of, you know, I did it with migraines as a, very young child. And then I did it with, uh, I had a, um, cartilage that fractured when I was in middle school. And then I had, uh, the low back pain thing when I was in high school. And it was just like, all of these things were just, everybody was like, Oh, well, we don't know why this happened. And we don't know what we could do. Try this. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, well, we're kind of out of ideas, you know? So finding somebody who was like, Oh, I could help you. I was like, you could what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> what? you're confident, you know? Right. Um, and so I, you know, I mean, it legitimately changed my life to go and see her because I wouldn't be a chiropractor if, if, if she had not been confident that she would be able to help me, you know? Yeah. And it's just crazy. You can go to all these people and nobody's asking you, what are you putting into your body? And it's mm -hmm. like, we have no idea what's wrong, but it's like, they haven't even asked enough questions to scratch the surface, but yeah. And then with the, the pregnancy and postpartum thing, that was really, I mean, I think anybody, no, that's not true. There's midwives who have never had babies. Like people are just interested in that without mm -hmm. that, but that was really where I got interested in it too. Like there, I wanted to dive down every like 
whole and know everything. (laughs) Um, Like before I got pregnant and like started a special diet nine months before I got pregnant and like, yeah, I'm still just fascinated and keep wanting to learn more. But then I do feel like there's a lot of people talking about pregnancy, especially from like a nutrition standpoint, but there's not as many people talking about postpartum. So I kind of saw, uh, and it's kind of like once you find it, it's almost too late when you know you need that support postpartum Yeah, because I didn't think about it until really after I had a baby, but it was like, then I didn't have the capacity to think about it. So it was like nine months after I had a baby and I was kind of coming out of it a little bit that I was like, Oh, that was really bad. Um, That was hard. I could have used a good amount of support. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully finding people, finding people sooner. So at least they know where to go. Um, Right. So that's what we actually, um, we had our Uh, my coaching staff meeting today and just in talking with them, you know, it's, it's easier for us to, I mean, you know, 2020 has kind of been a a weird year for filling classes because we do in-person classes. Um, And we've created a lot more online content, not just because of that. It was kind of like a side effect of, well, we're recording these already. Maybe I should just make them available. Um, But filling classes then has been weird because we were not allowed to be having in-person classes and then we were, and now we're talking about that again. And I don't know, but it's just, it's interesting. It's almost always easier to fill the postpartum classes than it is to fill the prenatal classes. And we were talking about how they're like, once you realize that you maybe could have been doing things differently in the prenatal time period, it's not usually when you're in it. Like, it's usually like, Oh, maybe, maybe I could have thought about what my food sources were like, instead of just like, oh, don't eat lunch meat or fish, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, maybe I actually could have been having some really high quality omega-3s in my diet. You know, you don't think about that typically while you're in it. Same thing with movement and, you know, community support. And that's one of the things that I think in the postpartum time period, if you've at least heard people talking about some of this stuff when you're pregnant, then it's easier to know to go there in the postpartum time period, even if you didn't take any of their advice during the the prenatal time period. Um, Because there's, there's a lot of information out there and it's hard to know what you need or what you might need. And so what I like to tell my patients in the, like in my prenatal visits with my chiropractic patients, I like to talk to them about like building up their resources for the postpartum time period when they're pregnant so that they're not on less sleep and overwhelmed and completely in a new entire family unit and navigating the internet. Like let's just, let's get your players all lined up that way when it's game time. If you're like, Hey, you know what? I actually only need two of these resources. Well, wouldn't that be way cooler than I don't even know how many resources I need and I don't know where to find them. But if you kind of have a little bit of a game plan for, okay, this person I know does stuff. If I, if I have trouble with my baby feeding, this person does stuff. If I'm having prolapse issues, this person is going to talk to me about my own nutrition postpartum. This person does postpartum chiropractic. This person does, you know, like, and then maybe you don't need all of those resources, but if you at least kind of know where to find them, you're 
going to save yourself a lot of heartache in the postpartum time period, honestly. Yeah, because you probably won't actually like find it, like do the work to find it postpartum. That was my midwife had me see a therapist ahead of time, just so it was like, if you have any issues, you'll have, you'll know who to call. And I'm like, well, and you have like one less barrier to entry because that's what I find with a lot of my patients when I refer them to postpartum pelvic PT, that that's okay. Well, I don't even really know what my vagina looked like before, but I think it didn't look like that. And like, you know, and so they're kind of in this vulnerable situation and they're like, something feels different. I can't really quite put words to it. And I don't really know. And now I'm going to meet this person for the first time you know, it, it really is a lot. Whereas if I already know, oh, that's that doctor. I had a prenatal visit with her. She gave me some information on how I can support my pelvic floor during pregnancy and then some tips on what to do immediately postpartum. And then I'm following up with her instead of I'm establishing new patient care. And that's so valuable for those practitioners that you really kind of need to be vulnerable with, like the practitioner that you're showing your vagina to for the first time, or the practitioner who's sitting there and listening to your innermost workings as they're coming out in your therapy sessions. Like if you already have a relationship established, that can be huge for allowing you to really take advantage of those appointments as opposed to like kind of dipping your toe in a little scared in the postpartum time period. Yeah. So we just have to keep talking and hope, hope we reach people that (laughs) need us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to ask something, this is kind of random, but I saw it on when I was looking through your materials, Uh how does swimming, like what are the benefits of swimming during pregnancy? Well, so swimming is one of those things that has been said for a long time is great during pregnancy. And it's one of the things that even people who don't swim are like, oh, I think I'm going to swim during my pregnancy. And I have to be 100% honest. I was super disappointed during my first pregnancy because I was really excited about getting in the water and thinking that I would feel a lot lighter. And I sank like a freaking stone. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was expecting to float more. This is totally disappointing. Um, but, <laughs> but it is like for a lot of people, they don't feel comfortable like into the second trimester continuing to do more like heavier impact type of cardiovascular things. So they may feel fantastic under a barbell, but they don't feel great biking or rowing. Well, getting in the pool is going to be a full body workout and is not going to be causing you to pound into the ground or causing you to do a lot of core stabilization on an unstable core because that's what happens to your body when you're pregnant is your core becomes completely unstable. Um, You can certainly work with that as it's changing because if your core didn't become unstable, all of your organs would get smashed by your baby. So it's kind of an ideal situation that we actually do have a diastasis. Um, But it can be really nice for people to still kind of feel that like, oh yeah, I am kind of getting moving and, and in the same way that a lot of people who really love running and then find running to be surprisingly uncomfortable during pregnancy. Like my first pregnancy actually felt great to run. My second pregnancy, I didn't feel that great to run. And so it was kind of not, and then I went into the water knowing that I wasn't going to be super floaty. And so it was less disappointing. (laughs) I was like, 
I'm sinking. Why am I sinking? This sucks. I'm picturing this like <laughs> dream sequence in a show where you like picture yourself like floating in the water with a bunch yep. of colors. <laughs> yep. I, ha- I had this whole idea in my head of what it was going to be like to get in water in my third trimester. And it was not like that at all. <laughs> but my husband has been a swim coach for um, 23 years now, I guess. Um, and so he helped me write programming and uh yeah. And so it's kind of a, a, a nice option for people who know how to swim, but don't know what to do in the water for exercise, right? It's okay, not water cool. aerobics or anything like it's like, okay, you're going to be doing here, swim a hundred and now do, you know, 12 and a half meters with this stroke and, you know, kind of mix it up a little bit. It's also just, uh, it's fun to explore your body when you're pregnant, you know, and, Swimming is a different way of exploring your relationship with gravity. Uh, and because that's a relationship that a lot of people struggle with during pregnancy, because the number on the scale tends to go up and up or it's plateauing. And now I'm concerned. And, you know, when we think about that aspect of it, being in a situation that feels a little bit different with gravity can be sort of a freeing mental experience as well as emotional experience as well as physical experience. So something's kind of fun and cool, you know, that is cool. Yeah. yeah I feel like that was something I said I was going to do. And that was my first pregnancy. I like heard about it and I'm like, yeah, right. I'm going to swim. And then I didn't. Um, and then my second, I guess I totally forgot about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not much of a cardio person though. I'll do like weight training paced so that you get a yeah. little bit of a cardio workout, right. but right. it doesn't, it's not the same. I know. Like, <laughs> so it wasn't like there was something I needed to replace. You weren't missing it. Right? Got a trainer <laughs> to, right. to lift safely. Yeah, but, smart. Um, so let's talk about like the first four weeks postpartum. Cause I know yeah. a lot of programs are not aimed at that time. And there might be women who are wanting to do something or wondering like how much do I really need to rest? What are your recommendations for that time? So, um, so my postpartum rehab program, I say that you can start at four weeks. I actually have had women who reach out to me and if they give me, you know, some amount of history on it, I've had women who start at three weeks postpartum because I begin the program with breathing and body awareness and emotional space holding. Um, so there's, uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, they talk about, um, two weeks in bed, two weeks around the bed and two weeks around the house. Um, and that, you know, like if you're, if you're really wanting to allow your body to heal, then you don't need to be placing any extra stressors on it. It's, uh, it's a very stressful thing to have a baby, like the physical stress of it and the physical trauma that happens to your body, even in a very wonderful birthing situation is still a lot that your body needs to recover from. So if we allow ourselves the first two weeks to really just kind of freaking do nothing, then that's giving a huge gift to us and our baby. And so, you know, recognizing that the milk supply is going to be largely impacted by what happens in the first two weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. If breastfeeding is important, then that's what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to get my body 
regulated with my baby's body, which is going to help my baby get accustomed to life outside the womb and life in the world. That is going to set us up for success in our feeding situation. Um, or at least give me a lot of information on what I might need to do to support this baby if breastfeeding is not going to work or if breath, breastfeeding is something that I don't want to work. So whatever the, the case there in those first two weeks, I'm just getting to know this person. And this person is getting to know me because my voice sounds totally different. And now I, they can see color for the first time. You know, they're, they're able to hear things without the medium of fluid and they're feeling things that aren't just liquid. Like it's life is a whole new experience outside of the womb than inside of the womb. And so spending the first two weeks literally doing nothing is my hands down recommendation for everybody. Now, exceptions to that are if you are having trouble feeding your baby and you may need to go to an appointment, you know, and in the first two weeks, like I'll do home visits for parents if they want me to, um, because I would prefer that they stay in bed and I can come to you instead of, you know, getting out of bed and coming to an appointment. Um, but after two weeks, I like to start with a walk and see how that feels. Because what's really interesting is that if you look at how children develop, and so the, uh, the Prague School of Rehabilitation has done a ton of research into developmental kinesiology. And if, and I've taken a lot of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization courses, and that's actually where I got all of my kind of background in core and pelvic floor health, which didn't have anything to do with pregnancy, which has come in very handy. Um, but babies are learning to get enough stability to be able to stand on two feet. And in the entire first year, they don't really do that, right? Babies don't start standing unassisted. And I don't mean assisted with your hands because I recommend that no one ever put a baby in a position that they can't achieve on their own. Um, but like pulling themselves up onto a couch or onto a chair or something like that, babies don't start standing on their own until about 12 months postpartum or 12 months post-birth. So if we gave ourselves that same amount of timeline for developing and re-administering the introduction of core stabilization, we'd be a heck of a lot better off because cognitively, immediately after giving birth, I know how to walk already, but I don't actually have the stabilization in place to be able to walk. So I'm going to take a walk nice and slow and I'm just going to feel, what does it feel like to put one foot down? and then shift my gravity and put another foot down. Well, now when I'm doing this, I have a completely different center of gravity than what I did when I was pregnant. Am I carrying my baby? Am I wearing my baby? That's going to change what's happening within my body. And so in the first two weeks, do freaking nothing. At two weeks, if you don't have any symptoms, take a walk and see how you feel. If you get pain, it's a signal from your body that your body is uncomfortable. Why is your body uncomfortable? Well, you just had a baby two weeks ago. So there's reason number one. Reason number two could be, oh, you know what? Maybe there is more tension in your pelvic floor. Or if you had a C-section at two weeks postpartum, all of the fascial tension that comes from a cesarean scar is going to be impacting what happens in all of your body, but specifically into your lower extremities. So when you take a walk, and I'm talking like not a power walk, just a casual stroll around your neighborhood or around your property, then take that feedback. Okay, you know what? I walked for 10 minutes today and I felt really great. That doesn't mean I'm going to go run for 10 minutes tomorrow. That means that 
maybe tomorrow I walk for 15 and see what happens. And as long as I'm still doing well and I don't have signs of increased lochia. So if your bleeding increases, that, that's a sign that the wound in your uterus that's still healing from where the placenta was attached needs more time to heal. Because if you just keep re-aggravating it, it's just going to continue to bleed. Whereas if you allow it time and space to heal, then it will heal. Um, and then, so in those first two weeks of movement, start investigating, okay, am I able to take a full deep diaphragmatic breath? Can I expand into the posterior aspect of my diaphragm? Because right around the area of the thoracolumbar junction is where the diaphragm attaches, but it's also where we put an epidural. So there's scar tissue around the TL junction that develops. And if you aren't able to breathe into that space, then that scar tissue is going to lead to more compensation. So I'm always checking moms in the postpartum visits for, does this feel normal? Because oftentimes I'll be able to feel exactly where the epidural was because there is actually scar tissue that's there. And oftentimes people have a complete change in sensation, whether they feel too much or too little, or if it just feels weird, like some women cannot stand for me to touch where their epidural went because it gives them like the heebie-jeebies. That's a, that's an actual diagnostic term. The heebie-jeebies. Um, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> it. It's the real, the real diagnosis. Um, but so we, uh, you know, so if, if we're not able to take a full deep diaphragmatic breath, and then we're going to start doing more strenuous activity, then we're just going to build compensation upon instability. So there, it's the hardest freaking thing to do to just slow it the hell down in the postpartum time period. But if we do, then it's such a beautiful gift that we're giving to ourselves. And just those moments of presence with your newborn, you don't get them back. And, and you hear that and you know it, and we have that experience every single day. Like whatever moment that you're in, you never get that moment back again. But like I, my four-year-old, I, I was like trying to squeeze him into a ball the other night. I was like, look, you're still very small. Like he's not, he's not small anymore. Yeah. And, and he used to be very tiny. And I'm really, really grateful that in those first moments of his life, I was like, I am here and I'm here now. And here's my soft belly. And here's my, you know, bleeding orifices and leaking boobs. And like, here we are together. And I don't want to be somewhere else. I don't want to be 10 pounds lighter. And I don't want to be different than what I am right now. I just want to be here, you know, so you give the gift of those moments to yourself and to your baby. And then you're also giving your body the gift of actual healing because tissue healing occurs on its own. It takes time. But the idea that quote unquote time heals all wounds is really only true of like tissue healing, emotional healing and metaphysical changes that happen that you actually need to process through. That doesn't just happen with time. You need to be present and you need to put some effort into it. Right. And then the actual healing of core and pelvic floor stability is kind of a reorganization of how we do those things. But if we just kind of like wait around for things to get back to normal air quotes, you know, I don't know, tangent by Lindsay. Um, but <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I'm so glad you said that. Cause it's like, I, I feel like we know these things, but in our culture, we know we're supposed to wait four weeks, but we feel like if we can do it at two weeks, and I did it better, better. somehow. Yeah. Yes. Whenever I have women in class, I'm always like, you can't win at healing. You don't need to race anyone else. You're not going to win. <laughs> you, you actually would probably win in a way if you did it the slowest. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, and, and there is kind of that, like, 
like we all get the badge of honor of like, oh yeah, he's already fill in the blank with like whatever milestone your child has reached or, you know, oh yeah, they're already doing X, Y, Z. And I've already been able to blah, blah, blah. Like the faster that we're able to do things, well, at what cost, you know? I mean, those first two weeks are non-negotiable. Don't freaking do anything. <laughs> From two to four weeks, I'm like, okay, take a walk. And, you know, you can be, so uh, Dr. Erica Bowen, I don't know if you know who that is, but she is one of my best friends and she um, took all the principles of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization and she created the functional progression, which is a series of four movements that kind of mimic the entire first year of life. And so repeating those movements helps to reestablish what our core stabilization looks like. So in the first two weeks that you're moving, which is like weeks two to four, if you're doing okay with that, start pretending you're a baby again, you know, lay on your back, see what it feels like to pick up one of your legs. Holy crap. That's really freaking hard right after you've had a baby. Right. And so giving yourself the kind of time and space and then like, just lay there on the ground with your baby, give them time and space to like be near you and kind of glance around of like, what is this freaking place? <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's just so much to be gained from living in those moments instead of like wishing and waiting for the next ones. Yeah. Well, I do have a question around that. So I actually took quite a bit more time in bed with this, my second baby, because uh, she was posterior and I don't know what I did to my abs pushing her out, but <laughs> it was really hard uh, and I couldn't stand up. So, yeah. Um, but I did get like, I almost wonder, is there anything you can do in bed? Like, cause I would get back pain just from like sitting up in bed too much. And my um, Thai massage teacher, and he does not specialize in postpartum. So I'm curious about this, but he was like, oh, you could do legs up the wall. Cause that would move blood flow back to your, and I was getting chills sometimes. He's like, that would move warmth back to your center. Is, is anything like that, like quote unquote allowed, or is that, I, I love legs up the wall. It's a, it's a very down regulatory, uh, pose that you can do for your autonomic nervous system. So, um, Dr. Stephen Porges is who coined the term, the polyvagal theory, and he has been researching this for like 25 years. Um, I feel very important in telling you that he and I have emailed, um, but he is amazing. And the polyvagal theory talks about, um, the hierarchy of the autonomic nervous system, but essentially to kind of just make a very long possible point into a very short point down regulation of the autonomic nervous system kind of brings us out of that heightened stress situation that most of us exist in most of the time, um, and brings us into a much more calm state of being. And in that calm state of being, this is where we're able to rest and rejuvenate and relax and allow healing to occur. So when we're upregulated, that's how we would be when we're exercising and when we're in active labor or when we're having sex, that's also how we would be if we were running from a tiger or how we would be if we were in a fight. Now we have a variation and this is where the polyvagal theory gets pretty cool of whether we perceive safety or we perceive threat. So if you're running because you're running from a tiger, that's different than if you're running because you're running a race, but it's the same activity within your 
nervous system. It's just whether or not you are perceived as being safe, as in the race, or you perceived as being under threat, as in there's a tiger chasing you. Um, but so we can downregulate the autonomic nervous system and allow us to perceive safety more easily legs up the wall as a down regulatory position. So that is actually one of the first things that's in my postpartum rehab course is that pose specifically. The only thing that I would be aware of is just like if it causes any dizziness or things, because we do need to be cognizant of like blood flow changes. And if there's, you know, like a greater risk of clot or something like that, but it's a wonderful down regulation position to be in. And from, you know, an Eastern medicine standpoint, the postpartum time period is considered a cold time period because you've lost the warmth of having another person living in your body. And from a Western standpoint, your progesterone levels are lower. And so your body temperature has lowered. So, you know, like we have those, uh, the, where we see the marriage of East and West kind of agreeing on that, on that point that in the postpartum time period, yeah, you're cold. And so laying in bed is a way to warm up, <laughs> you know, and if you want to lay in bed upside down and put your legs up the wall while you're laying in bed, like go for it. That's a really great idea. And, you know, it can be helpful for low back pain. Honestly, like chiropractic care is so, so, so helpful in the postpartum time period. And it's one of those things where after my first was born, I, he was born on a Wednesday and, um, we stayed overnight at the birth center cause he was born at night. And so we stayed overnight at the birth center. And then, um, the next day I came home and the next day on Friday, my friend came over to adjust me and I was like, you know, I actually feel pretty good. And then she adjusted me. I was like, never mind. I did not feel good. I, I feel really <laughs> great right now. I feel so much better than I did 15 minutes ago. This is amazing. Um, so then in the, um, you know, after my second was born, I, uh, I got adjusted during labor. And then I also got adjusted, um, in the postpartum time period as well. And I just felt so much better, like after getting adjusted. Um, and that's what, you know, I, I mean, I, if you're experiencing low back pain while laying in bed, then that's a signal from your body of like, some things are not doing exactly what we want them to do. And since it's not, movement related, you know, you're laying in bed or sitting up in bed. Let's see what's going on with your sacrum. Let's check out what's going on within your, you know, your whole pelvic structure and your lumbar spine and all of that. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I, I've gotten shoulder pain postpartum too. Just, just like breastfeeding. I did a lot more side lying with my second baby. Cause <laughs> once I discovered that with my first, I was like, what have I been doing sitting Game up and holding changer. this baby? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But Okay. So let's go, go to like after the first four weeks then when you're, you're feeling good, you're walking without bleeding more, you're mm -hmm. ready to start to rebuild strength. What does that look like? Well, so it, for, for me, it looks like moving like the way that you learned to move. Right. And then implementing things that are going to be really helpful in your everyday life. So like a shin box is one of my favorite things in the postpartum time period. It's really, really wonderful for rebuilding pelvic stability and core stability. And it's also super freaking helpful for you're on the floor and you need to get up. So like it, it's not just like working out for any sort of body transformation. I honest to goodness, can't stand that. Um, 
I really love working out as a gift to your body. And so when we're rebuilding strength, I, I want that to look like I'm going to rebuild the strength that is going to make me more resilient in my life and is going to give me the ability to move about in my life in a way that I'm comfortable doing. So I need to rebuild core stabilization. I don't need to learn how to suck my belly button to my eyeballs and hold that for 15 counts. Like that's not going to help me do anything. That's actually just going to kind of destabilize my core and confuse my brain. What I can do is intentionally practice breathing and then use breathing as an invitation to kind of sink into my body and find out like, how am I feeling and what feedback can I get just from a breath? And then how can I use that on a regular basis to actually get a barometer of how I'm doing in this moment? Because when I'm disconnected from my breath, then who knows what's going on. But if I'm actually connected to my breath, then I can revisit that and use that as a tool to check in. How am I doing in this moment? And how do I physically feel in this moment? And then how do I emotionally feel in this moment? That's also like really, really helpful. If we just start like repping out some squats, there's a missed opportunity. But if we spend time reestablishing what our diaphragm does, because the position of the diaphragm changes during pregnancy in order to accommodate the growing fetus and because the rib cage widens during pregnancy and because the center of gravity shifts during pregnancy and because the curvature of the thoracic and the lumbar spine both change during pregnancy. And then if we do an epidural, then we have changes in the neurology in the thoracolumbar junction area. Well, then now I need to reestablish this. And if we have faulty breathing, we'll have faulty movement patterns. So if we reestablish breath first, and that can be really freaking hard because your diaphragm was in a different position because of pregnancy and then all sorts of things happen during birth and then in the postpartum time period you tend to be a little shallow chest breathing and so re-establishing a diaphragmatic breath that is is like the absolute fundamental thing that needs to happen in the postpartum time period because then that also reconnects diaphragm and pelvic floor now they can work together whereas if we're taking shallow chest breaths well then our pelvic floor doesn't know what to do and so it just will tighten up and stay tight all the time and then when we sneeze leak urine not ideal. Whereas if we actually have our diaphragm and our pelvic floor working synchronously together, well, then my, my pelvic floor doesn't have to just be freaking tight all the time. It can actually have pliability and it can tighten or it can relax. And it can do those things the same way that my bicep can tighten or it can relax. And I'll be able to use it functionally. So it has to begin with breath as far as I'm concerned, because if we begin with breath then there's not just the physical components, but if we don't start with breath, then we're just, we're, we're messing everything up essentially. So begin with breath and then reestablish movement patterns from the exact way that you learned how to move. Because when babies are born, they have a diastasis of the rectus abdominis muscles and they have a non-functioning pelvic floor, right? Babies don't come out potty trained. So what do most people have immediately after giving birth? They have a diastasis of the rectus abdominis muscle bellies and they have most likely a non-functioning pelvic floor. Even if their pelvic floor isn't specifically leaking, it's just been stretched to all get out, or we've cut into their abdomen through multiple layers of tissue and fascia and completely changed the alignment as well as the juxtaposition of how those things go together. So if we don't, if we don't address those things in the immediate postpartum time period, our pelvic floor is going to remain to some degree dysfunctional. Our core cannot be functional if our pelvic floor is not functional. So when we reestablish breath in the postpartum time period, and we actually take some time to do that and, and get freaking good at it, 
then we can build a foundation on t- like from there. If we don't start with breath, then we're just creating compensation right off the bat. So. So what if you didn't do this? You're six months postpartum. You just found this episode and you're like, shoot, I haven't like exercised at all or done any of the things you're saying. Right. What's Fantastic if you haven't done anything. Also fantastic if you've done absolutely everything that I would consider to be not in your best interest. <laughs> because what what happened is that you found this episode. So now it's a choice, right? So I just I there's a woman who um leads a postpartum group and she's awesome. She's a nurse and she has a support group and she's had me speak at it a couple of times and um but she lives kind of far away and so she's said she's like, you know, I really wish that I was taking your course because it would be it would be so fun. And I really feel like that's what I need and whatever. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I put it online because we had been recording it for the class that I was currently doing. And she was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So she's like 20 years postpartum, mm-hmm. 20 years postpartum. And she decided that she was going to facilitate postpartum rehabilitation for herself. And she was like, this is what I have needed for 20 years. I can't believe how much better I feel. I can't believe how much different I feel. I can't believe the difference in 20 years after giving birth, deciding that I'm going to rehab because it's, it's never too late to do that. Like stupid college Lindsay, just going to take you down a little memory lane here. (laughs) I, uh, my very last college volleyball tournament, a girl came under the net. I'm not bitter about it. Um, she came under the net and, uh, rolled my ankle Mm -hmm. and I had a grade two sprain, the very last college volleyball tournament that I ever played in. And, um, and five weeks later, I ran a marathon. <laughs> so that wasn't really the best idea that I ever had. Not where um, I thought that story was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like I, I only trained to the to sixteen miles because the weekend that I, like, I had a tournament on Saturday and then I was supposed to run twenty two miles on Sunday. Well, obviously, I didn't run. I was on crutches. Um, And so then after my second was born, I was like, you know what? I never actually rehabbed my ankle. I'm doing like a physical, mental, emotional reset right now. I'm going to rehab my ankle. So not after my first was born because I wasn't really thinking about that. But after my second was born, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this ankle better. I'm actually, and so now my, my ankle functions the exact same on both sides, despite the fact that I had a grade two sprain and then five weeks later ran 26 miles on it like a freaking idiot. But like, I decided, you know what? I haven't paid any attention to this. I'm going to take this opportunity and pay attention to it. And I'm going to give it a couple of weeks of like actually doing something for this. And it's made a huge difference. You can do the same thing for anything, right? Like, oh yeah, well, I had this shoulder injury that I never rehabbed and I just kept fill in the blank. Well, decide that you want to make it better and then make it better. You know, so if you're six months postpartum, you haven't done anything yet. Well, fantastic. You haven't implemented any new things that you would really need to unlearn. You just have kind of a blank slate. And if you're six months postpartum and you've been doing sit-ups since you were two weeks postpartum and you're like cranking out all of the core things and kegling every other 30 seconds because you keep peeing your pants and you're like, yeah, maybe I should do something a little different. Um, dang it. I'm trying, mm, I'm trying not to say the S H O U L D word right now. <laughs> My friends and I are doing a, a should detox until Christmas. And I just, I just did it. You owe some money in the jar. <laughs> uh, anyway. So if, if somebody is discovering like, Oh, maybe I could do something different. Um, 
then you just make that decision and you decide, you know what, I'm actually going to put in some time and effort and energy into rehabilitating my body because my tissues have healed, but I could rehab and I could return to movement in a very intentional way. And I would like to do that. Well, then go for it. Do it, sister. <laughs> That's very inspiring. Uh, funny enough, I have a shoulder injury, like you were saying. Mine is an old <laughs> math injury. <laughs> Tell me about a math injury. <laughs> it's actually just from like like hundreds of hours of studying, like kind of tensing and writing. Like it's it's moves forward and it's I don't know whatever. <laughs> like it hurts. <laughs> and I remember injury. it was this one exam I was studying for. Anyway. Uh, I spent my twenties taking math exams. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. Like it's never too late to, it really isn't. No, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And well, and especially in the postpartum time period, you know, you still have relaxant in your system for a good long while postpartum. And there's, there's differences in studies on this. Um, because, some studies have found that relaxin will remain elevated in your system as long as you're nursing. Some studies have found that relaxin will remain elevated in your system for the entire first year postpartum, regardless of nursing. Some studies have found that it will be there up to like 20 some months, like variety of different sets of information that I have discovered. And I'm not sure which one I believe, but I do know that it's still in your system in the postpartum time period. So if you want to take advantage of the fact that your tissues seem to be a bit more pliable, it's probably a little bit easier to rehab injuries in the postpartum time period, you know, as opposed to not having that hormonal benefit and diving in, you know, when you're 18 years postpartum, like, Oh, I'd like to rehab the shoulder, you know, probably a little bit easier. So I have at least four months. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Depending on which study. Yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, what about when you want to like start, I don't like working out hard. Yeah. So you've done the, the breathing, you've done the rehab, you, you, you know, maybe you've fully gone through one of your programs or you kind of just like, I don't know, did it like I did pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And, um, is there a time for that? A time for returning to working out? Yeah. Like a specific timeline. It really depends. So I really like to think of the first postpartum year as an opportunity for rebuilding. And so if, you know, if I'm going to rebuild a house, like from the ground up and I'm just going to start from the bottom and I'm going to rebuild it. Well, I'm not going to test it out until I'm certain that the foundation is settled, right? So I'm not going to just take a jackhammer to it and see how it does and like test it out. So in the first postpartum year, I don't recommend testing, right? But then after the first postpartum year, it will completely depend. So my second postpartum experience, I had been diagnosed with uh, autoimmunity. And so I, after a year postpartum, I was still like, I was, I was heavy into healing. So I wasn't as concerned with what am I physically capable of in this time period? I was more concerned with what am I able to do that is maintaining and improving my health in the most robust ways possible? That was obviously like the exact question that I asked myself every time that I went out. To the <laughs> yes. gym. Um, what am I doing to me? I'm such a jerk. Uh, but, <laughs> but the, but like after my first postpartum experience, like a year postpartum, I was like, you know what? I, I'm feeling really good and I'm feeling ready to begin testing some of these things again. 
But in the first postpartum year, I don't think that testing things. So, so testing things would be like, okay, well, what's my 5k PR Mm -hmm. and what's my one rep max back squat and what's my one rep max deadlift and what's my three rep max push press. Like testing out those things, I don't think is really necessary in the postpartum time period, unless you're a paid professional athlete. And then it's only for your paycheck, not because you need to be doing that for any physical reason. Um, but if that is your job, you know, if, and paid professional athlete would include a military person because they are required to do things in the first postpartum year that to me look like testing. Um, like I just had a a mom in this week who, you know, she's a little bit worried about what her PT is, uh, with the army is going to look like because she knows that she's going to have to do knees to elbows. Um, And so she's like, I just, I really need to have a foundation underneath me so that I'm not getting hurt when I go to do those things. Cause I need to be able to do those things. Yes, you do for your job. You need to do those things. I am not going to do those things in the first postpartum year because nobody is paying me to do that. Right. So if no one's paying (laughs) me to do any testing in the first postpartum year, then let's not do it. If someone is paying you, then that's a little bit of a different conversation. Um, but, uh, if, if there is a solid foundation, then adding like adding strength and testing are different things. So once you have breath established and that's functional, once you can move through, uh, ranges of motion that are involved in the whole first year of movement as a human pain-free add to it, see what happens, add some resistance, get under a little bit of weight. And there is actually a ton of benefit to, weight training for pelvic floor stability. There's a ton of benefit to weight training as it relates to bone density, which can decrease during pregnancy and in the postpartum time period. There's obviously a ton of benefit to weight training as it relates to mental health for so many people, you know, especially people who aren't like psyched about running, like I'm not huge on going for a run, but I do love to get under a barbell, you know, having that aspect is really, really helpful. Well, you can get underweight and continue to get stronger and continue to improve strength without testing yourself to the max degree. Um, and I think that that's really important in the postpartum time period. Once that is like, once you are physically in a position where testing is not going to throw everything out the window, like in the first postpartum year, it throws everything out the window to really kind of test what you're in the process of building. Um, then there's a ton of benefit to getting into the adaptive gap between what you can do and what's next. And there's benefit there, but I think there's, I I think it's harder to convince people not to go into the adaptive gap than it is to convince people to go into the adaptive gap. Um, You know, and there's like a lot of people will, will just want to stay a little bit more safe and you have to kind of encourage that they are actually able to take things to the next level. But I think more people are interested in returning to those types of things faster than staying away from them in my experience. Um, but the, like, I, I love having, I love getting women to a point where they feel comfortable running again, if they love running, but not until you can stand on one leg and do at least half of a pistol. You don't have to do a full pistol, but like half of a one-legged squat with stable body positioning. Let's try running. If you can't stand on one leg, don't go running. You know, if you can't do a pain-free squat, then don't get under a barbell, you know? And so having those basics kind of under control, can you stand on one leg? Yes. Can you stand on one leg and do a squat? 
Yes. Okay. Can you switch legs quickly and get to the other one and not have any pelvic floor discomfort or dysfunction? Yes. Okay, cool. Why don't you try it around the block? See what happens, you know, um, and, and so implementing good. those things in a really like sensible way. You're not going for a run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I, that was like so clear and it made so much sense. I, I, yeah, cause I'm eight months postpartum now. I'm just getting back to the gym and, mm-hmm. you know, lifting some weights and it feels good. And it's, I, yeah. I like the distinction you made that it's, um, like working with my body, not, I like the testing your body thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So eight months postpartum, let's continue to build strength on stability. We don't, we don't need to test that strength or that stability yet. We will, we'd like to, right? Maybe someday. (laughs) Yeah. But not right now, right now you're, you're building strength. You're giving yourself a really great foundation in the postpartum time period, and you're going you know, to rehab that shoulder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, can you talk any more about your programs and where people can find you? Um, well, so you can find me at Lindsay Muma. Um, my last name rhymes with Puma. People who mostly I, I hear it from um, like every once in a while, I'll get like tagged in something. And people are like, is that really her last name? And she works with moms. I'm like, it's not Mama. My <laughs> husband is to blame for that. Um, but <laughs> you can find me at Lindsay Muma um, on social media or my practice, uh, which is Triangle Chiropractic and Rehabilitation Center. That's at Triangle CRC. Um, and trianglecrc.com has all of uh, like links to all the programs that we have. So I have a basic childbirth education class. I have um, postpartum rehab. And then I also work with Dr. Boland. Um, and we're putting more and more content onto Move Mentors, which uh, she has a pediatrics course. And then uh, one of my coaches, Jenna Samich, and I created a caregiver's course for people who are taking care of children. So whether that's nannies or parents or grandparents or whomever, um, to do so in a way that is developmentally appropriate for the child, but then also physically appropriate for the adult. And it's all based on respect and the polyvagal theory. It's a pretty cool freaking class, as a matter of fact. Um, And then we also have, uh, I just released a more core, which is kind of the next step after postpartum rehab that you could add in more core strengthening. Um, But I also am giving it to a lot of like my male patients and other patients who are just like, I just want my core to be stronger. And every single time I go to ab day, I'm like, well, that's not making me any stronger. It's just, you know, a bunch of mountain climbers and sit-ups and it's all doing sagittal plane stuff. I want strength in all planes in my core. How do I do that? I'm like, well, here you go. If you want to do mountain climbers and sit-ups, go for it. If you want to get more strength in other planes, you're going to need to get out of the sagittal plane and, and work that. Um, and so have those courses. And then, like you said, the, um, swim course is also available and that's on movementors as well. So, um, yeah, but I, uh, I get really excited about helping. I, I get excited about helping people help themselves more than I get excited about helping people. Um, because I like for people to understand how much power that they have in their, and like how much their voice counts and how impactful their own decisions can be on what their outcomes are. I think that I I find a lot of joy in that um, as opposed to like, yay, I fixed you. I don't like to fix people. That's not my job. (laughs) Awesome. Well, 
everybody, we would love it if you emailed us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com. And you can find me, Michelle, at michelletaggy.nutrition on Instagram and on my website, michelletaggy.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week.